Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is going to be the main scripture uh, for the series that we're calling Saving Sacred. And this is going to be the piece of scripture that is going to anchor us for the next two months. Uh, we begin this series today. It's going to take us all the way through to Easter. Come on, somebody. So this is going to be our longest series that we do uh, this year. Um, I've been prepping a lot for this series. I'm really excited about this. And just forewarning, this is a surgical series, okay? So we're going to go hard. We're going to go deep. Um, we're going to poke at some places. We're going to change mindsets and perspectives. Can we do that? Um, and uh, I'm really excited to dive into it. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says this. Thus says the Lord. This is the ESV version that I'm reading. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. Walk in it and find rest for your souls. Come on, how many of you agree with me? That's, that's a great piece of scripture right there. Let's read it one more time. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Today, as we begin our series, Saving Sacred, I wanna to speak to you from the subject, this is Sparta. As we look at seeing the sacred in all that we do and beginning the journey of walking down ancient paths in order to experience the sacred things of God. Will you pray with me just one more time? Jesus, we love you. We worship you. We honor you right now with the reading of your word. We know that it's by your word that all things are held together. And so God, at the preaching and teaching of your word today, I pray that you would hold our lives together. I pray that these words would not be my words. They would not be Jason's words, but they would be your words. And that your words would bring life and truth and hope. It would challenge and change and transform us, God. That would renew our minds and transform our minds. God, that it would bring new life to our hearts and it would bring rest to our souls. We love you. We worship you. We give you this time. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, at 12 p.m., shouted. Amen. I got into my first fight in the eighth grade. First fight in the eighth grade. I don't advocate for fighting. I know some of you are MMA people in here and love watching those, uh, th those fights on TV. I don't, I don't advocate for fighting, but I do remember my first fight, and I will say my only fight, okay? I've found out that I'm a lover, not a fighter, okay? <laughs> Uh, in, in junior high school, I, hit, I didn't hit my growth spurt until about ninth or even 10th grade. A uh, little backstory, Erica and I were uh, fifth grade sweethearts on. Uh, she saw, she laid eyes on me and, and couldn't release. And so, um, <laughs> fifth grade in children's church, uh, we don't advocate for that either, okay? So, um, but uh, in, I'll, I'll still never forget, she was taller than me all the way till 10th grade, even to the point where I had to stand on a curb and kiss her in the 10th grade because uh, I was that short. So I didn't hit my, gro my growth spurt until later on in life. So in eighth grade, I was small, a little runty, a little lanky, and uh, I'll never forget sitting in this class and all of a sudden I started feeling these, like, like these slight hits against the back of my head. And what was going on is that there's some of the boys in the back of the classroom, you guys remember like paper ninja stars? They were chucking these things and hitting me in the back of the head. Just pop, just pop, pop. And as an eighth grade boy, a little slow on the uptake to figure out what was going on, I finally got to that place where the anger, you know what I'm talking about? The type of anger that drives like tears to your eyes? Remember like when you'd get that, you'd get so angry and you didn't know what was going on. That was where I was at, sitting at my desk. And it took me about 10 minutes to finally formulate how I was gonna do what I was about to do. 
And finally, the last ninja star that I could take hit the back of my head, and I turned around and I started leaping and climbing over the desks, yelling, this is Sparta. I'm just kidding, I didn't do that. (laughs) That would've been awesome. (laughs) Leaping and climbing over the desks, I just started yelling with as much passion and fury as I had, and I tackled this kid and we got into it. Last fight, only fight. Like I said, I'm a a lover and not a fighter. I grew up in the generation where a boy's first fight was a bit of a rite of passage. I mean, if you remember what I'm talking about, right? At the height of their military and political power, from 431 to 404 BC, the Spartans were, in effect, their own superpower. With the core of their identity being formed in and around their military strength and prowess. Known as the Spartan Way or the Agogi, young Spartan boys at the age of seven would enter into a state-sponsored training that consisted of education, military training, and socialization, focusing specifically on duty, discipline, and endurance. These young boys would spend the next 13 years of their lives under the weight and pressure of an identity built by warriors that had come before them. That was their life, that was what they looked forward to, their their mom and their dad, that would be the pinnacle of their joy of their young male child. In completion of this training, they would enter into a new class known as the homoi or equals or peers. It would be upon completion that these young boys through this whole entire process would actually be known as Spartan men. This is Sparta. In his book, Gymnasium of Virtue, Miguel M. Kennel notes that the adolescent was introduced, and I quote, to ways of a young Spartan gentleman, to keep his hands inside his robe while in public, to walk without talking, to keep his eyes always on the ground, and to never stare. This training, among many other virtues and behaviors, would become the ancient path for young Spartan men, passed down through the generations. The problem that we face now is that ancient paths have seemed to be and have lost all of their power and purpose, especially in our age of technology, speed, global connection, and staunch individualism. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? For many of us, the idea of an ancient path seems irrelevant and and archaic. As well, the speed of the world that we live in has caused us to abandon a way of life and being that is only developed in time and intention. Two things most of us don't like. I've come to realize that sacred paths tend to be slow paths. And as one author would say it, our new age requires ancient pathways. Because here's the truth, as Jeremiah speaks to us, these ancient pathways that he's calling us to go on are are the sacred things of our faith. That's why we've entitled this series Saving Sacred because we're gonna do the hard work over the next few months to discover the sacred things once again. Because I want to submit to us today as a church that we've lost, we've all but lost the sacred and we have to get back to the fight of saving sacred. We live in a generation now where nothing is off limits. There seems to be nothing sacred about anything anymore. It's comfort, it's apathy. Things move at the speed of light and the speed of sound and the speed of Tesla. (laughs) And I wanna just submit to us today, and I I know that in this room right now there's varying degrees of, of a faith journey. For some of you right now, you were tricked into coming to church today. 
You had no idea, but you're here and, and welcome. And some of us have been coming week after week, month after month, year after year, and we're, we're on our journey of faith. Some of us have no idea what we believe about God, and, and many of us have really strong thoughts about what we believe about God. But here's the truth, no matter where you find yourself at on this spectrum, that God is God, we are not, and there are still sacred things that he values and has for us to engage in. Many of us sometimes believe that God has changed by what we believe or don't believe. It's a funny thing. He's like, I am who I am. So regardless of where we're at on the journey of faith, we've got some things that we need to discover. In his manifesto for silence, Andrew Sullivan so pointedly wrote this. There are books to be read, landscapes to be walked, friends to be with, life to be fully lived. This new epidemic of distraction is our civilization's specific weakness. And its threat is not so much to our minds, even as they shapeshift under the pressure. The threat is to our souls. At this rate, if the noise does not relent, we might even forget we have any. The call to ancient paths has always been the antidote to both the individual and collective drift towards speed, Efficiency, automation, neglect, busyness, selfishness, and the loss of purpose. The prophet Jeremiah was engaged in a battle that we, once again, are engaged in today. It's the fight against the very real reality of losing our souls. Jesus would say it like this, what good is it for you to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? Have you ever noticed that we're fighting to gain the whole world? We're speeding through life to gain the whole world. And I wanna submit to us this very hard but very real truth. There's a potential that in the process of it, we're losing our souls. It's become the most neglected area of our lives. See, the prophet Jeremiah was addressing his nation, a nation that had gone astray as they had been caught up in idolatry and in excess and comfort, apathy, and entitlement. Sounds like the world we're living in right now. A people who had seen God move on their behalf now whose hearts were cold and hard toward the things of God. The truths that had been so familiar to them, truths passed down through time and generation, were now abandoned and seen as, here's the terms, religious and legalistic. How many many times have we used that term before? If we rewind back to Jeremiah chapter two, verses one through three, we're told of the relationship between the children of Israel and God. Listen to to what it says. The word of the Lord came to me saying, go and, and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, now here it is. I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a, as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of its harvest. All who ate of it incurred guilt. Disaster came upon them, declares the Lord. In other words, what he's saying, he's like, I remember when our relationship was brand new. I remember when we first started dating. I remember when that, that love was there. Come on, you, you remember that, that first moment? I was thinking about it the other day as I was reading this scripture when, when, when Eric and I first started dating. The butterflies that were there. Right, the, the like just fields of gold that we'd skip in. <laughs> this is back in the day when we used to have four hour conversations on a telephone <laughs> with a wire. <laughs> we had answering machines and pagers, come on somebody. Those are the real years. 
It's all but changed. Now it's text conversations and emojis, gifs, gifs. What is it? See, I don't even know. Bring back the answering machine. Come on. That's what I want. Fast forward to Jeremiah 6, verse 16, and we have a very different reality taking shape. They had lost their way. We have lost our way. I know that we don't like to say it because it's hard to hear, but truth rarely comes as a friend to convenience. See, in our postmodern, post-faith world, we are now hashtagging the fracturing of our souls with terms like YOLO and FOMO. Come on, how many of you realize that? We're reveling in our own destruction. You only live once, so you might as well do it. Come on. We go a million miles an hour because FOMO, fear of missing out. Is it possible that YOLO and FOMO are two brand new theological realities that we need to reject in order to come back to sacred? So I wanna just kind of gear us up. This entire series is coming from the heart of a pastor who wants to take us to a, a new place for some of us, wants to take us to a forgotten place for others of us, and I wanna take us to a place that we all need as we seek to save the sacred in our lives because it's in the sacred spaces. It's on the holy ground. It's in presence and encounter where we experience God in a way that shakes us to our core and changes us. Come on, somebody, I don't want inch-deep faith anymore. I don't need mile-wide faith anymore. 2020 showed me and it hopefully showed you that we need some more substance in our life. It showed me that I need some more word in my life. It showed me that I need something deeper than quotables and Facebook posts. I need a moment with God that is sacred, that changes me. I need to be on ancient paths that are tried and true and tested and I know work in me. Come on, everybody shout, Saving Sacred. As John Mark Comer would write in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, psychologists tell us anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine. It's our soul's way of telling us something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it fast. And anxiety has become the identifier of a generation living on the edge of constant frustration, numbing, isolation, and fatigue. He would go on to say this very pointed, and I think prophetic word to each and every single one of us, hurry is a form of violence on the soul. We've given up on ancient paths. We've traded them for hurry and rush. We've lost the ability to see and engage with the sacred. We've sequestered the sacred to the corner of the room and we've put labels on it such as religious, legalistic, unloving, and irrelevant. We have traded a deep acquisition of faith for cultural assimilation that anyone can pair it with Christian phrases and T-shirts. And in doing so, we have allowed the sacred to fade away. Maybe in other words, I could put it like this. Deep faith has been replaced with designer Christianity. I'm not saying that we can't wear certain things and have lights in a team that does amazing. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is that when we just simply enter into a faith place where we start parroting Christianese and we say things that you're supposed to say, 
to identify with a faith system rather than experiencing the sacred and having myself transformed because of it. I just wanna say that maybe, just maybe, we've assimilated into designer Christianity. It's become something we wear versus someone that we are. And I think this is very relevant for us who, for those of us who have, uh, who, who are on the faith journey. We would call ourselves followers of Jesus, but I also think that this is important for those of us in the room who are kicking the tires on faith and trying to figure it out. Because I would just tell you, in all the conversations that I've had with people who have yet to say yes to Jesus, one of their biggest critiques of faith is that the followers of Jesus are passionless. that there's no more sacred in it. We have inch deep sayings to pander to attention spans that last for about eight seconds. Recent studies would tell us it's down from 12, which means no one's listening to me in here right now. (laughs) Come on, am am I talking to anybody today? See, now more than ever, we need the sacred. We need to be able to say of our life as the psalmist does in Psalm 119, 49 through 56, remember your word to your servant. You've given me hope through it. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. The arrogant constantly ridicule me, but I do not turn away from your instruction. Lord, I remember your judgments from long ago, and I find comfort in them. Fury seizes me because of the wicked who reject your instruction. Your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. Could you imagine if the Bible was our playlist? That his word was our theme song? That's what the psalmist is saying. Let's just break it down real. He's saying, your word is my theme song. If you've got your iPod, your like ear pods in, just a theme song. Why is he bouncing? Theme song. Come on, somebody. Why's he got that? Why's he got that that step? Theme song. Oh, it's a theme song of hope. It's a theme song of joy. It's a theme song of peace. Even in the hardest moments of life, it's my theme song. In trial and tribulation, it's my theme song. It's the thing that keeps me stepping. It's the thing that keeps me walking. It is the guide to my path. Oh, come on, somebody. It is a light to the path in front of me. It keeps me straight. It keeps me on the narrow. It keeps me focused when the winds are beating against the house. It's his word. So that's what this series is about returning to the ancient paths as we seek to save the sacred in our lives. Over the next few months, we're gonna discover that there are roads less traveled, ones that Jesus would call narrow. We will look to see what camels and the eye of a needle have to do with the journey of faith. We're gonna learn that the ancient paths, one traveled by the tried and true followers of Jesus, are paths required to save the sacred in our lives. But we've gotta start the journey somewhere. Anybody love to travel in here? Show of hands, where are my travelers at? I know we've been grounded for a while. Today, let's take the backside of this message and let's call it packing for the trip. A journey that we're gonna go on for the next little while. And more specifically, I wanna look at four things that we need to have in us. I'm calling it the, the spirit of the traveler. The spirit that we need to engage on this journey. In Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16, gives it to us very plain and very straight. Here's the first thing that we need that the Bible shows us is we need a spirit of perseverance. 
If we're gonna travel down this journey, if we're, gonna, if we're gonna do this thing called saving sacred, we need a spirit of perseverance. Jeremiah 6, verse 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads. Come on, everybody shout stand. stand. Come on, everybody shout stand. stand. Everybody shout stand. stand. This is Sparta. <laughs> Perseverance seems to be a waning ability in many of our lives, if I'm honest. If you examine the Bible from cover to cover, you would quickly realize that perseverance is lauded and a necessary quality of one who moves forward in life and faith. And I believe that more than ever, we need to become a people who can stand, one who is immovable, unshakable, unflinching, and planted. Now, the conceptual truth, if you read scripture, when we see this word to persevere or perseverance, there's actually a better word for it, a a more defining word for it, because a lot of us think that perseverance has more to do with our willpower, like to persevere, put my head down, let the wind push against me, but I'm persevering. Actually, biblically speaking, the word persevere has more of a picture of fighting. See, while the enemy of our soul is perpetrating violence against our soul, we are called to be people who perpetrate violence back. So, the, come on, so I want to use some words today that help jar us out of apathy so that we can stand and we say, wait a second, if the scheme of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy, I got to come at him a whole lot harder than just with my willpower. I need to have a spirit of perseverance. I need to have some fight in my soul. I need to understand that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Come on, somebody, do I got some fight in the room? We stay away from things like this, but it's Bible, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Once again, another word that we get confused with, because we look at wrestle and we automatically think like spandex and bad tans. (laughs) (laughs) Do you smell what the rock is cooking? (laughs) Come on, how many? But that's what we think, and we lose the strength of this scripture. Because this term wrestle is not like the wrestling that four-year-old boys do in the backyard. He's talking about a fight. (laughs) He's talking about this, this violent crash course that is happening in our souls. And he says it's against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, and we're frustrated because Starbucks got our order wrong. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Oh, having such a bad day. Why? It was three shots. (laughs) Not two. I told him two pumps. This is definitely four. (laughs) They don't know what they're doing to my macros right now. I'll tell them. (laughs) Sandy, come on. (laughs) These ancient paths that we will discover over the next few months are paths that require perseverance. Come on, everybody shall fight. (laughs) They are paths that are fight-worthy. And as the dust of our culture tries to cover and conceal them, we are to be a people that stand by those roads. 
persevere down those roads. And as Jeremiah would say, fight for the good way. Second thing that we need is we need a spirit of observation. Two words, Jeremiah 6.16, and look. He says, stand by the roads and look. Look. There's an unfortunate phenomenon taking place right now in this generation, and it's this right here. We have begun swiping our way through life and have lost the ability to observe. And I'm not just talking about being on Instagram. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I want us to get the, the picture that I'm trying to paint here and present here is that we're swiping through life. We're going as fast as we possibly can. How many of you know what I'm talking about? We wake up feeling like this. We go to bed feeling like this. We wander through the day feeling like this. So much to do, so much to be, so much to say, so much to write, so much to do. <laughs> Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Inside. Oh, we stroll through life like we're looking all slow. And inside, it's like, it's a list, it's a list, it's a list, it's a list. Do, make, be, become, blog, make it, make it, make it, go to the top, blog, make it, go to the top, blog, tell all the mommies I'm doing great. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Can I, just, can I just preach for a second, right? Come on, young adults who have to miss everything that is so great about the life that God has for it because we have to capture it in a picture. Saving sacred. We miss, where's God? Well, he wasn't in your frame. He was at the edge of the cliff where you would have saw the eagle soar as it caught an invisible breeze that swayed in the distance. But we missed the sacred moment because we wanted the world to know that I'm now dating John. (laughs) Come on, can I be real? (laughs) In the house today. Sorry, John. (laughs) Exactly. We love you, John. I want us to consider that we're caught up building conveniences to help us continue to be shallow and flighty. We create apps and technology to support a diminishing attention span, and we call it progress. How have we come to the place where we've traded reality for a Google search? And I believe one of the greatest reasons for our lack in the sacred is because of the lack of observation. And that's because we've adopted a cultural spirit of hurry. Carl Jung, the psychologist who was involved with the development of the Myers-Briggs personality test and the framework for the introvert-extrovert typing, was coined as saying this, hurry 
is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. What a powerful statement. Now, I'm not saying today that if you hurried into church today, <laughs> you somehow let the devil in the door. That's not what I'm, I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that as we lose the ability to observe, contemplate, and slow down for the sake of our soul, we actually give the enemy a lot of space to get in our world and do what he does, steal, kill, and destroy. There's so much here that I wanna say. You know, it's funny that many of us don't feel connected. You ever heard that before? You ever said it before? Just don't feel connected. That, that's, a, that's a church problem, especially. We hear a lot about it. I just don't feel connected. I'm just starting to ask myself a little bit of a question. Are we sure that it's because of everybody else? Or is it possible that we don't feel connected is because we're requiring everybody else to catch up to the speed of our crazy? What would happen if we went on a journey, maybe created a movement of slow? What happens today if you didn't rush out of here? The back end of service feels like, for me, many times, the rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. But what if you stopped and you sat at communion for an extra three minutes? We'll talk about that in the series. What if you stopped? Gotta find an empty seat, there's not one in here. And I'm not wearing a mask, I'm sorry. And you had a conversation that you wouldn't have otherwise had. Online, just so you know, I'm sitting in the auditorium. The tech team is freaking out right now. <laughs> but we rush past connected eyes. But guys, I need us to understand something. This is the stuff we're missing from our faith. And we've allowed it to become something that we watch instead of something that we participate in. I'm just wondering if we could save sacred. I'm just wondering if we can get back to the ancient paths. I'm wondering if we could learn the sacred art of slow. Because the language of love is slow. So here's the truth I want us to grab a hold of today. Observation causes us to see the little things that make the painting of life beautiful but we miss them when we hurry by for the sake of seeing the whole gallery. To save sacred, we must slow down and observe. Here's the third truth that I want us to understand today is that we need a spirit of wisdom. Jeremiah 6.16, and ask for the ancient paths. Ask, every shout ask. Yes. Ask for the ancient paths. This is where the good way is. I believe that this is a is having a spirit of wisdom. Proverbs chapter four, verses five through nine. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't for, forget or turn away from the words of, from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom. She will watch over you. Love her and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown 
of beauty. James chapter one, verse five would say it like this. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. Here's the, here's the question I wanna ask us today. When was the last time we asked for wisdom? Because we ask for a lot of things, don't we? And I just wonder how many of us are asking for things that wisdom is needed for. Is it possible that much of what we're asking God for, he can't even put into our hands because we yet to have the wisdom to be able to steward it? Come on, somebody. This is the ancient path. This is the, the sacred space. This is the acquisition of Wisdom, oh, don't get quiet on me because wisdom is needed right now because we're living in a world that has knowledge at their fingertips, but we're not seeing wisdom played out. A simple idea of wisdom is this. It's the use of the knowledge that you actually have. So it's one thing to know I need to eat healthy. It's another thing to actually eat healthy. It's one thing to know to worship. It's another thing to create the space to worship. It's one thing to know to read my Bible. It's another thing to actually read my Bible. It's one thing to know to pray. It's another thing to actually pray. It's one thing to know about generosity, but it's another thing to actually be generous. It's one thing to know to ask for wisdom, but it's another thing to actually do it. That's wisdom. Where a generation has all the head knowledge. Then you go, how do you do that? They're like, I don't know. Why? Because I've never done it before. We've got to learn to be wise. Here's, here's my, here's the truth I'm working in right now. I say this to myself, wisdom comes first. You can borrow it, you can, you can steal it. But now in everything that I'm thinking through and processing through and having to work on, here's the first thing that I'm going to God with. Wisdom comes first. So God, give me wisdom. So when it seems like we're going slow on decision making, it's not because we're going slow. We're asking for wisdom. I wish I had a whiteboard right now because I would draw this out for you. (laughs) But here's the truth. Many of us, have gone on detours that have taken most of our life because we had a spirit of hurry and we didn't use wisdom. But what could have happened is if we would have asked for wisdom, sure, it would have taken maybe a little bit of time, but we would have still ended up in the place that we wanted to be sooner. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Like, so we do this life... And because God's good and God's sovereign and he's graceful, we'll end up at the same place. But oh man, that detour did some damage to the vehicle. Man, I saw some things and experienced some things that I didn't wanna see and experience. But oh, if I would've just stopped and said, God, I need your wisdom. I need your wisdom on this relationship. I need your wisdom with this business decision. I need your wisdom with my health. I need your wisdom with my child. Then maybe, just maybe, I would've stayed on the ancient path. Maybe, just maybe, I would've saved sacred in my life. And I would've still ended up in the same place without the same bruises. Wisdom is what helps us overcome much of the brutality of just a knowledge-based life. We have to move past the desire for convenient Christianity, and here's the last truth. We need a spirit of obedience. Oh, he said the O word. (laughs) 
Every shout obedience. obedience. Every shout obedience. obedience. Every shout obedience like you like obedience. obedience. <laughs> the Bible uses a different term. He says walk in it. So if you need to, like in order to digest the term obedience, maybe, maybe look at it like this. Just walk it out. Have that in your head. Because you're like, I don't like obedience. Fine, semantics, walk it out. Just walk it out. Just walk it out. <laughs> but this is what he says. Look at, look at what obedience does for us. And find rest for your souls. Am I helping anybody in church today? Obedience is not the design of some dictatorial God. Rather, obedience tells us this truth right here. Obedience is always the proof of the authority in our lives. Oh, we gotta get this illustration. Watch what Jesus says. Luke chapter six, 46 through 49. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Now go back to that. Obedience is always the proof of authority in our lives. I will submit to you today that we always have two options for obedience. Maybe that person said something over you in your past. And I have the option to obey that thing today or not obey that thing today. Or I have the option to obey the Lord today. But either way, you're going to walk in something. Either way, I'm going to walk in something. I've got to decide who's the authority in my life. And it will always be a dueling battle. It will always be my past. It will always be my dysfunction. It will always be my addiction. It will always be the hurdle. Or it will be the spirit of the Lord that says, follow me. And I will make you. So watch what Jesus says. He says, I'll show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. Here's the truth we need to understand today. We are going to build our lives on something. The question is what and how will the house stand? I'm gonna build my house on something. You're gonna build your house on something. The question is, is is that something tried and true and tested? Is it birthed in fire? Is it secure? Is it immovable? Is it eternal? Oh, come on, somebody. We gotta understand that when we build our life on Jesus, he was before everything and he's working in everything. Oh, what are you building your house on? Come on, somebody, you got to understand that what you're building today, the business, the marriage, the faith, is it built on the rock? What are you building on? What are you building on? I know for some of us today, this is a service like we've never been in before, but can I tell you that this is a sacred space? It's an ancient path. It's a road less traveled. 
Because I want us to just reckon with this truth right here. We've been doing it and building on so many other things. And I just want to ask this question. How's that working for you? Because I can tell you how it worked for me. I can tell you that without Jesus, I would be nothing. And with Jesus, I still know that I'm nothing. But I know that I'm loved. See, he doesn't make you into a super something. He takes your nothingness and he says, let me be and live in you. And that's why Paul the Apostle would say that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So my friends, I want to invite you on an ancient path. I want to invite you to journey with us to save the sacred. Because as we recover the dust-covered places, we will find rest for our souls.